Tala Jebediah. Is that you? It is me. Hello. Hi. I immediately tried to think of one for you and failed quite quickly. Because <laughs> letters are hard. <laughs> Stephen. See, it just ends up sounding like I've got the name wrong. I need to get something really creative right at the gate. You wouldn't be the first, TJ. I'm on multiple threads <laughs> on things like WhatsApp where my name is in there. My name is typed in there. And people still <laughs> refer to me as S T E W A R T, S T E V E N, S T E P X. It, it's got to the point I don't even bother correcting them now. I just don't answer to everything. <laughs> if it begins with S, I'll say yes. <laughs> Indeed. Or, or, well, anything in the alphabet, really. As, lo- as long as we're there, then that's fine. <laughs> yeah, if the noise is directed in your general perspective, you'll you'll respond in kind. <laughs> so how are you, young man? How are things in Northern Ireland? They're okay. It's been a... So since the last time we recorded, which was years ago by the feel of it, um, lots has happened. Um, My father, who was battling with terminal illness for a long time, passed away. And we've been we've been dealing with that. That's, you know, obviously things like this happen, but they're never easy. And we're taking time as a family to come to terms with that and deal with that and process and sort of feel that as you do. So it's been a weird old time in the last month and a bit, but we have lovely, lovely family, wonderful people around us. So we're we're well cared for. But it's just been one of those strange times when you know big things like this happen in life and it sort of upends everything. So it's good to have a little bit of normality. It's good to to focus on work and friends and podcasts, things like that. To as little distractions, little things you can do now and again just to keep you Keep you on the even keel. Is that a boating term? There you go. Absolutely. I, I, I'm sure it is. And I know that I'd get in trouble if I didn't say that everybody from the 1857 community sends you all a massive hug and our heartfelt yeah. condolences. Thank you. Now then. But yes. No, enough of this. Onward. Enough of this. What are you writing with and on? I am I'm writing on possibly the most trendy actually i've now ruined it by using the word trendy <laughs> non-ironically but it is possibly the most forward-thinking fashionable writing implement i have ever used wow and yeah i'm i'm not over egging it this is something i would never have bought myself but the person who bought it for me it was a lovely gift uh i very much appreciate it and it's it's actually very very cool so without more ado um <laughs> <laughs> this I'm writing with a Supreme branded Rotring 600 3 in 1. Supreme of course Stuart I know that you know that it is a New York based skate slash fashion slash lifestyle brand. Obviously. Uh yeah. So red box. Uh it looks a bit like Futura. It's definitely a sans serif font capital S U P R E M E Supreme in the red box. You've probably seen it before. Uh they make lots and lots of stuff. They, they make skateboards, they make clothes, but they also like co-brand a lot of fancy things uh, and stick Supreme on it. And I had never bought anything from them. Uh, I did go to the store when we were in New York, uh, funny enough, to take a photo for this friend who bought me this. Um, and I mean, for, it, it is a Rotring 600, a three-in-one pen, pen, pencil, transforming pen implement. Uh, 
Uh, but it's just co-branded. So the, as far as I can tell, it is exactly the same, except it's got this sticker on it, or this this print, the screen print, the same as the road ring. Uh, and the Supreme bit is fun because it's not something I normally buy. But what is cool is that it's just a really cool little pen. So the one I have, uh, it's sort of a bit chunkier than the normal Rotring. I think it's a 600, the sort of mechanical pencil you'd, you'd imagine mm-hmm. um, from Rotring, German brand. It's a little thicker than that. And the one I have has a red pen, a black pen, and a pencil, propelling pencil in it. And you spin the little ferrule at the top. Is it a ferrule on a pen? Hmm. <laughs> the little piece, the little knurled uh, roundel at the top. The you knock. spin that. Uh, the knock. There you go. Terribly sorry for all the pen aficionados out there I'm insulting. Um, so I'll try and get the audio for you can hear it. Let me, let me twist into the little. I was going to say, the uh, the clicking is already driving me insane. So heaven knows what it's doing Terribly to the listener. Well, every, no, every time you hear it click, you'll know that I'm either uh, writing in pen, pencil, or pen again. <laughs> well, that's handy. Um, <laughs> that's good to know. Susan. There's no differentiation. Yeah, good to know. So that that annoying clicking in the background, just know that there's a, there's a purpose. Uh, but it's a lovely, lovely pen. And the one I got, actually, I think, the, I don't know if this is unique to the Supreme one or it's just a, a thing with the, the 600. It comes with a blue uh, insert as well, so you can have a blue biro. And it's it's a really lovely, smooth writing pen, as you'd expect from a brand like Rotring. The pencil is lovely. It's a little buttery smooth. It looks a bit like a 2B to me because it's it's a lot darker than an HB and really, really lovely, smooth graphite. And it's 0.5, I reckon, mm-hmm. size of, of lead. And uh, yeah, just one of those, those things that you never really... I didn't even know they made a 3-in-1. And then you get a co-branded Supreme 3-in-1, which is a bit of an in-joke because like, I was like, I don't need this Supreme stuff. She's like, ah, well, we'll see. So this is, uh, I think, a gambit to get me interested in uh, Supreme items, which isn't not working, but a uh, fascinating little pen. And one that I've really enjoyed using because the utility of having two different colors of pen and a pencil in one thing that's solid aluminum, it's really pleasant, actually. I've used it a lot more than I thought I would just because it's handy. And a lot of those... You know, you've seen the, is it Bic make one with sort of four, just sure, classic, yeah. the sort of four different colored pens. And I've seen a few variations on a theme on that where you have a couple of pens stuffed into one body. Mm-hmm. And normally it's a little clunky and it's a little clicky, but this is one little turn and I'd say maybe 15 degrees of rotation brings the next pen in a smooth double click that you have now found to be supremely annoying. <laughs> but um, it's very satisfying. And it writes beautifully. And I just, I can't really find any faults with it. So I'm really enjoying that. And it's something that I would never have bought myself. But I'm extremely glad that someone did. So this is this is it, ladies and gentlemen. This is, you are witnessing. Cosgrove is getting rid of all of the tweed jackets. He is now going to be skate punk with a pencil. <laughs> once upon a time, you may or may not believe this. Once upon a time, I did have shoulder length hair and skateboard. Now, this was a long time ago, uh, but this is a story I will tell Athena someday about the skate park and how I wasn't very good at it. But I did have the clothes and the, I think it was sort of a checkered flag style wrist band, like a like a sweatband, uh-huh. sort of like two inches thick on the wrist. Yeah, those were the days. Those were the way, way back when. But you found the falling What's over that? was, well, painful. Yeah, less than enthusiastic about the uh, sort of at speed collisions with concrete. <laughs> 
Well, uh, there we are. What a, what a wonderful career it was. Now you can just get back to dressing the part, you know, <laughs> carrying the pencil, <laughs> stroke pen, stroke pen. But yes, I feel very, and the fact that I said trendy at the top of the show ruined it entirely because in one false swoop, my mother came out. Well, if if there was a way to invoke in the, the eye of the listener a tweed jacket, I think that was probably it. <laughs> It's quite spiffy, yeah. this little pen I think marvellous, everyone. Marvellous. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> that has been my very long and winding writing implement. What have you been writing with? Oh, well, well nothing, nothing quite as exotic. Um, I have um, a Retro 51, um, which I'm sure everybody knows what they are. Um, I've got a limited edition sort of pink flamingo one. Hello. Uh, which I got from Manning. Um, they're just... For a fountain pen user, these are the closest you can get without actually using a fountain pen because the, the inks are very sort of juicy. They're juicy refills. Uh, they're Schmidt refills. Um, and they just write very nicely, put a lot of ink on the page. So they're right up my street. And of course, this one's bright pink, which just appeals to my mad cap set. Well, if you say so, old boy. Um, so yeah, lovely. And I'm writing on a folietto card. My my world is full of folietto mm. cards at the moment. These are the Italian index cards? Uh, you would have thought so, but no. Uh, as could only really be true in the world of stationery, they are, of course, French. Um, yes, <laughs> okay, they've got sorry. an Italian name, but they're French. <laughs> um, uh, the, the company um, is, uh, is, is woman-owned. Um, it's a very, very cool. Emeline is her name. She's the boss. Um, but her other half hails from, well, a little bit sort of further east, Italy. So uh, there's a sort of cross-pollination of naming going on. Mm, uh, but they're very, very cool. Yeah, they're very cool little cards. And um, they're sort of, I mean, A, I've got a lot of them. Uh, and B, I just find them really useful for making quick notes. Uh, and I'm, uh, if you've been reading my blog, my apologies, uh, you will know that I am sort of big into GTD at the moment. So uh, mm-hmm, I do a lot mm-hmm. of stuff, capture on these cards, and they go into a physical in tray, and then they get processed. And Oh, it's like 1976 in here, TJ. You'd love it. <laughs> what is it, Zettelkasten? You go into your little wooden index drawers and pull them out and go, I, I know I wrote it down somewhere. Well, I, it's on one of these. I, I do <laughs> actually have two Zettelkasten boxes. I, again, by, <laughs> by Foglietto. Uh, they're beautiful wooden boxes. Uh, one is currently serving as a microphone stand. Um, so that I don't have to have a huge boom mic over my desk anymore. Um, but I don't use them in that way for the very reason that you highlighted. So um, I do I do a lot of the capture is is done analog, but then it all ends up somewhere digital because it's it's mm-hmm. not easy to find. Yeah, referencing is easier. Mm. And talking of which, um, I don't know if this will be up your street, but um, Mike Schmitz, you remember Mr. Schmitz? Mm-hmm. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's got a career path that you'd be proud of. He, he was sort of in a job, then went indie, then out of a job, then in a job, then doing four jobs, then no job, then three jobs, then in a job. And now he's <laughs> gone back to being indie. He's, or, or I think maybe perhaps the first time truly indie, uh, and he's big into obsidian. So he did some training courses mm. for, um, the sweet setup. Uh, which I attended, you know, sort of um, seminars, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, he he he's into Obsidian. He, there's 
if there's stuff in Obsidian that he doesn't know, it's probably not worth knowing. Uh, and <laughs> he's just starting or just advertising um, an Obsidian University sort of cohort course thing. Um, mm. I think I'll try and find the link at some point when TJ's talking. I'll go for a quick look. But I think it's something imaginative like obsidianuniversity.com. Um, it runs in June and it's about 300 bucks, um, us dollars for, I think sort of eight workshops. Um, uh, yes, it's obsidianuniversity.com. There you go. Uh, it's a four week cohort, $247. There you go. Hmm. Uh, so if anybody's into obsidian, uh, have a look at that. Um, obviously Mike will be sending us millions of dollars if anybody said, oh, no, yeah, I keep forgetting <laughs> to organize those things. But anyway. Um, yeah, you need to do the, the promo after bit getting paid, not yeah, before getting paid, Stu. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do it because I, I feel I don't get the most out of Obsidian, so I'm going to go and do that. That's going to be mm, Excellent. Integrate that. do have a bit of Obsidian. Oh, yes. Yes. Right. What do we do now? Oh, watching. What have you been watching, TJ? Well, actually, it's more about what I haven't been watching, so... I, after our time tracking, I took a cold, hard look at the metrics of my watching <laughs> and thought, hmm, hmm, in a very TJ way, hmm, hmm, I wonder if I can change those numbers. And then I did. So I looked at how much I was watching YouTube, which was a, a, a heinous number of way too much of my life spent on YouTube, which is like, there's a lot of fascinating stuff on there, but sometimes... Sometimes, Stuart, when I find myself at three in the morning watching videos about Antarctic land trains, perhaps wonder, is this the best use of my time? <laughs> and <laughs> in hindsight, probably not. So I thought, what I'm going to do is have a YouTube fast. You, you hear people talking about dopamine fasts and all this other stuff. I thought, no, I'm going to try and reset my perspective and my kind of relationship to watching youtube because it was just a it was a habit and so i was watching a lot of it all the time because it was there and i like it so wanted to try and reset that and come back to what i think would be a bit more of a healthy reasonable amount of watching so i did that so i took a week and i didn't watch any youtube i think i saw two videos because i was looking something up for work and had to try and find the answer in one of those horrendously complicated tutorial videos you're like just tell me how to do the mail merge on this one specific program in this one specific way and it's a 19 minute video telling you about their cat and then in the middle they talk about mail merge and you're like oh god <laughs> so i think I've, i watched two videos for the the combined time of about 45 seconds to get the information but otherwise didn't watch any youtube which was great and actually it felt really good. There were definitely times where it was like, hmm, be fun to watch something. Can't really be bothered starting an episode. So it was that sweet spot of like, I don't want to spend 45 minutes watching a fictional show and a movie is out of the question because it's even longer. So I kind of, it doesn't feel worth it for 20 minutes or 25 minutes. So I guess I'll just read. So a lot of that time was pushed into reading which was great. And I read an awful lot and I read more than I think I've read in the last couple of years in that one week, uh, which was really pleasant. And I don't think I could sustain that amount of reading the entire year. Uh, and I definitely do enjoy a lot of YouTube things and there's, there's useful and interesting things I find there. So I don't want to cut it out entirely, but having that perspective of standing back from and going, no, 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 hold on, wait, give it a week, then come back. 
I think I'm a lot more choosy now. So there's, you know, I'll put on YouTube and go, mm, okay, that's interesting. I watched that. Mm, that's quite cool. Okay. And then look down at the time tracker on my watch and go, okay, 90 minutes. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're good for now. And then I'll sort of cut it there, which is, I think a lot healthier of a way to do it. Because before it would have been three or four hours and going, oh, yeah, what's four more? <laughs> and just, <laughs> you know, and watching late into the evenings or watching instead of doing, you know, I would sit down and go, dude, oh, I don't want to sit and watch a two hour film and then watch three hours of YouTube. You think it's not the right way to do that. So that was very helpful. I, I didn't watch an awful lot. I did read. I did go outside did walk the dog, did, did other things like that. So having that perspective was great. And uh, yeah, I'm now back to watching bits and pieces, but I feel like the perspective and the space from it has given me a bit more of an understanding of what I actually want to watch rather than just watching mindlessly. Mm, oh, I, mean, I think the, you know, the calculation is yeah, YouTube is, I think, largely intended as a work replacement. Digitally. You're not supposed to really look at it in your <laughs> leisure time. I mean, that's, that's dangerous areas there. Well, I only, I only watch YouTube on my television. I don't watch it on my phone. I don't watch it on my, my computer, really, or on my iPad or anything like that. I literally only watch it on the television, on the Apple TV, which is the most annoying one because it's the only one that doesn't have an ad blocker. So I have to watch all the ads. Oh, what fun that must be. <laughs> but yeah, I always sit, I sit down and watch it like traditional television. Well, what have I been watching? Um... I think I may have mentioned it to you. There's a show. I don't think it's all gone out yet. Um, it's on BBC Two. I think called Once Upon a Time in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's uh, a very, uh, very moving. Uh, I mean, it's not what you'd call fun viewing necessarily. No. But um, it's they've taken sort of normal people um, and normal people who perhaps had a larger part in uh, Northern Ireland's more recent history. Um, and got them to speak very frankly, sort of talking head to the camera, and then intersperse that with footage of, you know, the events and, and the the troubles, as they are, I think, mm. somewhat weirdly called. Um, certainly, if you're not up to up to scratch with your Northern Irish history, which I, I suspect is quite a niche interest, um, it's a fantastic thing to watch. You can find it on the BBC iPlayer. Um, and... I was put onto it by a friend who had a role um, in in everything that went on. Who was who was serving in the the British military, um, and it was interesting for me to talk to him. Um, and also, uh, what can I say? What can I not say? His his sort of view of the events would not be what would be archetypically archetypically. Typically, um, assigned to someone in the British military, uh, he saw it very, very differently. Um, uh, particularly because well, my family are um, on on one side at least Irish Catholic, um, and so would probably come at that conversation from the other side. Uh, so really, really interesting for me, and and, and overall, just the the humour and uh, I think the resilience of your of your countrymen. Mm. <laughs> just just astonishing to see it's it's a brilliant program it's called um once upon a time in northern ireland it's five episodes each about an hour long i think um mm. and you can find it on the the iplayer now have you watched it tj or have you just seen i haven't actually but it's one of those ones that i, I do want to see there's bits and pieces obviously from my own experience sure. and, and family and, and memories like that that you've heard and seen but 
I think it's it's really useful, even if you're from here, or you're not from here, to get that that other person's experience mm. and understand it. And that that's largely what the whole thing is about, I guess, yeah. is understanding different perspectives on the same thing. So, yeah, it sounds like a really good watch. And I think I am always struck by how not long ago it was, how you know, how recent so much of it was. Sure. And how much my parents went through and my grandparents went through. And I mean, I vaguely do remember, you know, bomb threats mm. and, and being evacuated now and again and, and shops and things like that. But that is a very distant memory. And it, it thankfully it all sort of cooled off an awful lot by the time I was really cognizant of what was going on. So, yeah, just one of those things that is there, there's so much history locally. Oh, yeah. you, know, you read about, you know, big, big historical moments and then you you take a moment and look at what's around you. And I mean, everywhere has their own history, but it's just, as you say, a fascinating insight. Uh, and what, I've seen a few trailers and bits and pieces of this. And it's just, it, there's, there's so much there. Mm. There's so much content. There's so much information. There's so much, so many stories. I think the stories are the important part because they're all centered around people. Yeah. Um, no matter what. There's some astonishing juxtapositions and changes of of attitude i mean when the british army sort of returned to northern ireland um, there's this incredible uh sort of old this would have been in the 60s old footage of um the two communities which were sort of beginning to become partitioned at that point um i suspect they've probably been you know de facto partitioned for a while but they were competing to to give the British soldiers the, the better tea and biscuits, which is just that that to me is so <laughs> fantastically Northern Irish that, that there's that you've got the you know the, the Catholic community coming out with big cups of tea and then the right behind them the Protestant community with biscuits and you know everybody's getting on famously and then just how it all changed and ah oh, mm. it's, it's an astonishing watch um, and so yeah I sort of binged that over a few days once my friend put me onto it. Um, and then another one, this one, I think is probably a year or two old. Um, I think it was on ITV. Um, I found it on what we call our Bluebeard service. Um, the, the pirate TV, um, a spy among friends. Um, and this is about Kim Philby, uh, loosely, her, who was a, a very famous double agent, British spy mm. who was actually working for the KGB, um, and it's based on the writing of a guy, I'm going to get this right, Ben McIntyre. McIntyre? Is it McIntyre? I think it's Ben McIntyre, um, who also wrote Colditz. Um, and he oh, okay. he um, he has imagined some scenes based upon the known facts of the case. Uh, so it's, a, mm. it's not quite fiction and it's not quite factual. Um, but really, really good. Um, and then some some beautiful little moments um, that are just interweaved into it. So Ian Fleming turns up as a as a character, um, which of course him of James Bond, it, exactly. Which would make sense because Ian Fleming did work for for SIS. Um, and there's a couple of sort of sideways mentions of the John Profumo affair. Um, it's just really, really clever. Very, very clever. Mm. And excellent. The who's who of British actors. Um, just. Lots and lots of very good ones in there. Um, what else? Oh, Silo. Have you been watching Silo? On- I haven't watched it, but I did read all the books okay. once upon a time. So I, I really enjoyed the books. It's, I mean, it's post-apocalyptic fiction, sci-fi-esque. I mean, I'm not going to not like sure. it. 
So I remember really enjoying the books and I think there was like two or three and then maybe a prequel. Um, and I remember really enjoying that. And then I saw, because it popped up, uh, the book I think was called Wool or something like that. And so it the, the silo popped up and I went, what's this? And it was only once I'd watched the trailer, I figured, oh, this must be, it's too similar. And then when I looked into it, it was it was sort of the, the TV adaptation. But Silo, I don't think is the name of any of the books mm. or it certainly wasn't the first book, which is what threw me the first time because I thought, this looks great. And then I was like, this looks familiar and great. <laughs> and then this looks very, f- oh, I've, I've read this. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I've not read the books, um, but um, I have heard sort of various commentators say, look, isn't it amazing what you can do if you get really good material and stick to it? Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, it's almost like someone's written it all down and all you have to do is exactly. like put it on It's screen. like an instruction manual almost. Um, <laughs> They've written 300 pages three times. All we have to do is film it. <laughs> um, and then, yes, I, I completed my Apple TV Ted Lasso. Um, we're, mm-hmm. uh, as we record, mm-hmm. days away from the climax of season three, Is It the Last? <gasps> and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm. and it's um, yes it's a little bit Ted Lasso it's, it's been in and out this season for a sort of um, died, died in the wool Ted Lasso fan I was a bit sort of disappointed then it was oh okay it's coming back and oh where's it going now and now it's come back and it's blindingly obvious straightforward um, well if 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 the climax goes as I expect it to, uh, <laughs> then it'll be all of those things and it'll make me feel terribly good about things. So yeah, it's feel good TV. Good. Right. What about listening? What have you been listening to? Mm, something a little bit different. So Daft Punk I've talked about before, but still, still crushing some Daft Punk, which was good on the dog walk last night, had some good of that. And then uh, another band, which I've only started listening to recently, uh, I believe there are a British band, could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain they're British, uh, Hot Milk, as in the warm beverage you'd have before bed. Um, they are sort of metal punk, kind of, if Paramore met, mm, I'm trying to think of a suitably punkish band. It's very heavy, mm-hmm. it's very angry, it's very visceral, and it's very good. Okay. So if if you like that kind of, it's, it's much like, I have a lot of these examples. Listen to a Hot Milk song, go on, on Apple Music, Spotify, whatever it is, search them up. They've got one album and another one coming out shortly, which they've released a couple of tracks from. Uh, listen to a track. If you do not like it, you won't like the rest of it. If you like it, there's more. So uh, I've I've really enjoyed that. It's nice to have music that is evocative and angry and loud and unashamedly unbashedly sort of big there's something pleasant about that especially when you're on headphones i find that there's a strange sense of calm it's almost like any any frustration or excess energy or i don't know anger any any negative emotions i might have if i blast really heavy music on my headphones it's like it sort of osmosis the negative vibes out in the someone else is screaming so i don't need to so i feel like a nice calm serene you're like "Mm, yes as the music is literally decimating my eardrums it's kind of a strange juxtaposition okay well i'm straight from the band's website hot milk are an emo power pop duel incorrectly spelled um 
Hot Milk are an emo-powered pop dual-fronted band from Manchester, England. Jim and Han met at a bar in the Northern Quarter in 2016, became fast friends and have lived together ever since. What started over a bottle of wine and an acoustic guitar in their living room whilst it rained heavily outside quickly became their vice and way to survive through everyday life. The Manchester weather, coupled with their persistent desire to fill a meaning-shaped hole, meant that one song quickly turned into 15 after running home from work during lunch breaks and staying up all night. Singing sad songs with happy melodies, Hot Milk are a celebration of the real. With fun, family and kindness at the forefront of their minds, Hot Milk hope to create an open and warm sphere where everyone is invited. Well, there you are. There you go. That's that's the pitch. We should have got the underpass as well. You've done another one? Yeah, well, I'm looking at their um, <laughs> hot milk acid tea. Well, there's an interesting juxtaposition. Anyway, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's lots of merch. It's uh, hotmilk.co.uk, everyone. Enjoy. Um, <laughs> you might enjoy it. It's, I'm it's suitably give it a go. heavy. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I came across it. I think it popped up as a suggested artist on the end of something else. And uh, yeah, just just really fun, good music. Splendid. Well, I've, I've been sort of bumbling around down memory lane. I mean, partly watching Once Upon a Time in Northern Ireland. That sort of mm-hmm. naturally took me back to you too, because that was what I always associated, you know, the, the famous song Sunday Bloody Sunday and what it refers to and all that stuff. Um, so I went on a bit of a nostalgia trip. And I, mm-hmm. I even went to this place that you talk of called YouTube Bay. And uh, um, it was the end, I remembered this from my youth, um, you probably haven't seen it. Um, (laughs) You've possibly heard of a U2 album called Rattle and Hum? Uh, No. No. Okay. Um, (laughs) Rattle and Hum was um, sort of shot on the American leg of the Joshua Tree tour. Joshua Tree was, I suspect, their biggest selling album. And... Um, they were sort of very much into Americana. They did a duet with B.B. King. Um, they had gospel choirs. It was all getting very big in stadiums, as you might imagine. Um, at the, the closing scenes of the film, there's a, the film is a sort of film of the tour. Um, so you get lots of live live music, plus, you know, little sort of snippets in between of them. Excerpts. Yeah, visiting yeah. Gracelands and that sort of stuff. And the final sort of concert performance is on the day of the Enniskillen bombing. Um, so you get um, you get an intro from Bono saying, I wasn't really sure we should put this in the movie because people watching it won't know how everyone was feeling right at that time and how we were feeling right at that time. Uh, yeah. So for, for context, the Enniskillen was a, was a horrible terrorist attack in, in Northern Ireland where lots of innocent people were killed on a Remembrance Day parade, if memory serves. And um, they then perform uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday, shall we say, with feeling. Um, and it's yeah, very, very powerful song. And I think mm. much under- misunderstood. They, the Irish have a really weird relationship with you two and you two with them. Um, I, I'm never quite certain whether more Irish people love them or hate them, but... Um, that's that's where I've been music wise, just sort of going down mm. that old old uh, old tracks that I used to hang out down. Reading, what? Well, you've been reading everything, apparently. 
Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've normally got two to three books on the go anyway, just because some of them are different modes, some of them are different needs. So the book I read when I wasn't watching YouTube was called The Book You Wish Your Parents Would Have Read uh, by Philippa Perry, which is a parenting book. Okay. Which uh, was really good. Uh, was was a lot of stuff about how you can relate and understand a child and how you can reframe things and how maybe some of the things you expect to do or some of the things you, that you do as a response to stimulus maybe isn't the best. And it's not one of those books that's like, you're a terrible person, you're an awful father, you're doing this wrong, blah, blah, blah. It's it's very much a constructive, helpful sort of encyclopedia of this works for some people that might work for you. And, and it was really, really helpful. And I mean, fatherhood is the, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And it is a wonderful challenge every single day to figure out you know, answers to questions you didn't know were going to be asked of you. And it's it's funny. It's a really wonderful experience, but it's funny how many times you're like, oh, well, I don't know. Uh, pfft, didn't have an opinion on this until now. I guess I need to make one. Um, but also you're trying to you know, instill these uh, values and understanding and, and things into a child. So you want them to get the best parts of you and maybe not the bad parts, but you're also trying to figure out what that looks like. Uh, so it was really useful to to have a bit of a framework and understand some of the ways other people have done these things and how they can try and relate to young people and kids and understand that some of their feelings can't be expressed because they don't have the words for it, both literally and figuratively. So sometimes it's not about, you know, helping them or fixing a problem sometimes it's just about being a container for their feelings and making them feel like they're safe and they can they can be sad and that's okay because you're there and you know it's just a very useful helpful thing to read and especially it's it's a weird time in that i've lost my parents within a year and so i'm trying to figure out who i am as a parent while also not having mine to give me that guidance so it's I'm trying to fill the gaps as best I can with family and friends and, and just learning and just figuring it out. Some of it by, you know, figuring out what's what feels right and what, what seems right and what's best for the wee one. And some of it's just by by reading, just figuring out what other people do and going how much of this actually resonates with me and how much of this seems off. Mm. And I think that's a fairly good way to do it. But yeah, very useful book. I enjoyed it and uh, definitely wouldn't have been able to finish it in, you know, two or three days I read it in if I'd been watching YouTube instead. So that was great. Uh, and then my other two sort of stable books that I'm, I'm almost finished with both of them, actually. Uh, Termination Shock by Neil Stevenson, which is the climate change one, mm-hmm. which is really great. Uh, I've got 59 minutes left on the audiobook, as far as I remember from this afternoon. Uh, and it's it's kind of coming to an epic climax with um, sabotage of geoengineering projects and... Uh, drones and falcons it's all it's all happening it's very exciting and i'm really enjoying that so I'm, i've got another book uh to go on to after that daniel suarez one so i've kind of got this this science fiction thread mm-hmm. that i'm coming to the end of one book i'm moving on to another and then in my fantasy slash happy readings thread there's obviously terry pratchett and i'm 86 percent of the way through feet of clay because i remember seeing it on the kindle last night um which is my kindle book so i read that on the kindle uh, at night normally i'll listen to the audiobook while i'm commuting and things like that and then anything else is just like a hard copy like i try to read non-fiction as a hard copy so i had 
the Philippa Perry book and I just read it as a as an actual piece of dead tree. So there's lots of different modes. There's a, there's a system in place, too. Don't worry about that. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's a a spreadsheet <laughs> documenting the system. Well, no, there's an there's an Obsidian oh, of course there uh, website. Boy. Yeah, don't don't. <laughs> but no, I I very much enjoyed all three books uh, for very different reasons. But it's that kind of I do spread my reading out of our couple of different things because I think reading just one at a time wouldn't necessarily fill the gap. And sometimes, it's like a TV program, I'm just not feeling a particular book. I want to go read or, or experience something else. Very good. Uh, well, I've got a few books on the go as well. Um, I'll be honest, some of them I'm not going to talk about. So uh, I'm doing lots of digital marketing. I'm doing the digital marketing module of my MBA at the moment. Um, and I, I it astonishes me the amount of utter shit that people can write down about uh, marketing. <laughs> both digital and uh, analog just utter nonsense but um yes i've got to read it all and digest it and spit it all back out at someone um so, so i'm getting on with that um perhaps as a counter to that i'm reading a book called stoicism and the art of happiness um mm. some people know i'm quite into stoicism as i think you are too um mm-hmm. this um is a guy called donald robertson it's a little bit teachy <laughs> and what we will learn here is boom, boom, and boom, uh, which, okay, fine. I guess that's that's got its place. And, you know, it's a nice overview. Um, it's got a it's got a really, it, it maps out the sort of timelines of, of stoicism very well, mm-hmm. uh, which I've always been a little bit confused about. So, um, you know, some of the most famous Stoics uh, were Romans, but everything is written in Greek. Go figure. What? How, how does that work? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's quite a time. Like, I remember charting it out before, uh, just for my own edification. And I remember looking and going, like, that's that's a couple hundred years. It's about years. 500 like, years. I, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a long way, yeah. It's not an insignificant amount of time between, you know, Zeno and Marcus Aurelius, mm. which is, so I guess, some of the bookends you get. Um, there's, a, there's a fair whack of time and two very different places. Those Zeno of uh, Sishim, which is what? This is your neck of the woods, Cyprus, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. And then Marcus Aurelius of the Roman Empire. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, of Yeah, geographically in a similar area, but very different timelines, very different perspectives. And yeah, I think it, it sort of lends credence to the idea that Stoicism is a useful tool for anybody, anywhere, for many things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this um, book also explores the links through to uh, CBT and stuff. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. very, very much modern and up to date. So, yeah, I'm enjoying that. Um, and I've also just finished uh, continuing the U2 theme, um, Surrender, which was U2's, or not U2's, it was Bono's autobiography of oh, a few years back now, I'd say, 2018 or something. I'm not sure. So, somewhere back then. Mm. Um, and. Not as bad as I feared it might be. Um, uh, front men of bands are a very particular thing, um, and I suspect have to have a certain, well, I suppose ego would be the most obvious way of putting it. And there were certainly <laughs> times that Bono appeared to, well, sort of disappeared up himself. But um, he's reasonably self-aware of that. 
Um, and it was it was quite interesting for me. Okay, I'm a big YouTube fan, so I'm I'm always going to be more interested in this than some people. Um, but it was it was interesting to me to read about that sort of self awareness and um, yeah. the sort of switches that they made because they they all realised that they were perhaps just just going off on a tangent. Um, so yeah, that's a good book if you like if you like YouTube, go read that. If you don't, probably don't bother. Um, <laughs> uh, but there were some amazing little snippets there. There was there was some proper name dropping uh, towards the back of the book where um, <laughs> Bono was was talking a lot about his his work for charity, which you know I I, I don't care what anybody thinks. He he should be praised for that. Um, but yeah, the you know people like um, the Gateses and um, Warren Buffett. Um, you know, he got a phone call from Warren Buffett saying, um, I have no interest in all of this money. Tell me where I can put it to good use. And we're talking wow. billions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Proper big numbers. Um, I just think, wow, well, that, that stuff is going on in this world. Um, perhaps there's hope for us yet. What about drinking? What do you mean drinking, TJ? Well, a revelation I had recently was that I didn't dislike water i just needed a straw so i have a, a couple of the amazing yeti cups and mm -hmm. bottles which i use around the house which are great mm -hmm. uh, they're well insulated they're rock solid and things like that and i have a big i think it's about a liter or 700 mil uh bottle that i would normally have for water and i'd be carting it around and you know drink a bottle and have this and it's one of those ones it's a screw top so you screw off the top and it's like a spout and you just drink from it and i find that i was trying to drink more water for health reasons, just try and keep it better hydration. And I was like, yeah, this is a pain. Oh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, I can get through a bottle or two is kind of a goal in around two liters is probably healthy. And I just find it being really like, okay, yeah, I'll go do that. Oh, it's empty. I'll just wait. And then I, I have a big cup, which is a similar volume, but just like a big cup with a straw in it from Yeti. Mm -hmm. And I, one day I was, I filled it with water and had, went and had dinner. I was like, oh, yeah, that's not bad. And drank three liters basically because it was just easier to drink. And it was one of those stupid little things. You're like, why I, you know, as an advanced human being who is, you know, part of a species that has achieved spacecraft and space flight, why does a straw, why is it so difficult for me to get that as a concept that is going to help? And I'm like, oh yeah, straw, straw is good. <laughs> and literally adding that has increased my water consumption by about 70%. Uh, just because it's easier, well, just because there's less friction. I would be tempted to laugh at you, but <laughs> for the fact that, oh, it must have been probably a year ago that my wife discovered my Yeti cup. And <laughs> and that was immediately requisitioned for um, for school <laughs> use. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and her gig was that she would go, she would stop at the coffee shop on the way and say, Slap me an ice latte in there, sunshine. Um, or however you say that in Greek, because my wife's very talented. And that that would be her coffee for the day. And the way that the Cypriots enjoy an iced coffee is that the ice takes that long to melt in a Yeti that essentially it, it lasts you all day. Just <laughs> homeopathic coffee. Yeah, it's it's the ever it's the sort of ever refilling coffee. So me being an only child and absolutely abhorring sharing of any type, I went, well, this, 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 this has got to stop. So um, I went onto Amazon and bought her a Yeti cup um, and then said, would you like one with a straw? 
Oh, yeah, I'd love one with a straw. Okay, I'll get you the little straw set as well. And gave her that. And it was a very tender and loving moment. Look at that. That's very thoughtful of me, isn't it? Great. Give me back my cup. <sighs> Obviously, she immediately started taking two cups to school. <laughs> but what, what she now does is she makes her own latte at home. Um, and I would point out that the only bag suitable for the porting of two large lattes in the little sort of web webbing at the end of the bag is, of course, one of my bags. So I've lost that as well. <laughs> <laughs> to the extent that I am now awaiting the delivery of a third Yeti cup <laughs> just so that I can get mine back um, I feel like this is possibly she's going to need a bigger bag that carries three cups you've not thought this through I've tried I've tried to get her a bag <laughs> I've bought her about three bags now I still can't get back my because it's my little um, it's my it's a cooler bag, you know, so an insulated bag uh-huh. for, and I use it for golf. Um, oh, you've got a Yeti cup and an insulated bag, Stu. It'll never be warm. It'll just never be warm again. I, 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 trust me, it gets a, it gets a little bit toasty here, young man. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yes. So the, I, she's exactly the same. Um, she is now, um, you know, when she goes to bed, I have to sort of prize a Yeti cup out of her hand. She's never more than two meters from a yeti cup um <laughs> and i well i've forgotten what it's like to drink from one to be honest um <laughs> in the days of yore before the the grit stealing <laughs> exactly um uh I'm, I'm drinking the same thing though i am drinking lots of water i don't have a problem with water once i you know get into the rhythm i drink half liter bottles um mm-hmm. and i just yeah uh, as you will know from doing the editing, I sit next to a very large fridge. Um, <laughs> and that's got one of those little filters that's attached to the main. So I refill my water bottles from there, mm-hmm. just occasionally buy some new ones and I'm feeling flush. Um, but yeah, loads and loads of water. I did have um, the little man up the street the other day. Um, in the, It's called the coffee shop, but it's essentially a taverna. He decided to be a jolly jape to bring us lots of shots of things. Um, so here, have some Sambuca. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know, know it well, sort of alcohol plus loads of sugar. Yay. Um, <laughs> no, no, you don't like that. Don't worry. I've got black Sambuca. Oh, for heaven's sake. Um, and yes, I was reminded that I really don't like shots. Um, well, or, or rather I do really like shots, but they don't really like me. Um, <laughs> Terrible, terrible, ugh, horrible stuff. So yes, enjoying the water. What have you been buying then? Oh, this is a fun one. So I spent an awful lot of money on nothing tangible, but something very helpful, which was physiotherapy. So I think I think this happened when I tried mistakenly to do a kickboxing class on Apple Fitness because I thought, how hard could it be? Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out very. Uh, and yeah, I sprained a muscle between my rib cage and my shoulder. There's quite a lot of choice which, between your rib cage and your shoulder. I would suggest this. I mean, that literally connects them. So imagine the sort of the bottom, the pointy bit of your shoulder blade down towards your spine. Mm-hmm. There, in there, apparently it connects into the the um, the what do you call it? The rib cage somewhere in there. And it was a very small muscle that I basically had pulled in a way that wasn't supposed to be pulled. And so the, the the sort of the result of that was a sharp, sharp needle point in my back pain. Ooh. 
uh, basically just all the time for three days to the point where I was sitting in the car as a passenger seatbelt on and going around corners hurt. I thought, hmm, yeah, that's that's not great and definitely not something I want to continue. So I've been I've been sort of thinking about doing uh, physiotherapy for many again anyway. And so I thought, well, it can't hurt to ask. So I went and booked a, an initial session just to see sort of what the story was. And uh, there's one local and uh, went in. Guy was great, really, really friendly, really helpful. Immediately was like, mm, I think it might be this. And then did some sort of, you know, lift your arm up, move this around. Let me feel that, do this, that. Yeah, okay, yes, it's that. And then we had the ultrasound machine, which went on to sort of like pulse ultrasonic uh, waves through. Apparently that helps. Mm-hmm. And then something like a TENS machine, so a little electronic, yeah, yeah. like two little electrodes and that pulse through, which I was electrocuted once a long time ago when I touched the back of a fridge that I bought off Gumtree that turns out was a scam. Uh, and it electrocuted me and it was very unpleasant, but it was a very much a vibrating feel. It was very strange, very sore, but it did feel like a vibration in your hand. And that's what this felt like. It, you know, they put two electrodes on either side of this muscle and basically pulse it. And it, it's very strange. It's a very odd feeling if you've ever tried it. Um, but yeah, it, it helped an awful lot. So I went to two sessions of that and now my shoulder feels great. Back to sort of 98% normality. We tiny twinge night again, but I can feel it's going away, which is great. So that was, you know, I had to spend a bit of money on it, but one of those ones where I was worried about it because it came on so quickly and hurt so much. Uh, I was glad to hear it wasn't anything serious and that this is, you've done yourself an injury but it's fine it's going away so here's a bit of help uh so that was good and my knees are next so i have dislocated my right knee twice which is an extremely unpleasant thing but the re sort of the the fallout from that is that my gait has always been a bit messed up since then Mm -hmm. and i will tend to burn through shoes so most people buy shoes and use them for many happy years Whereas I could buy a pair of shoes and walk holes in them in three months. Wow. Yeah, which is, uh, let me tell you, not fun when you got to buy shoes every three months. That's four pairs of shoes a year. I could burn <laughs> That's through. That's a spreadsheet, isn't it? I can tell. <clears throat> There's a very, very sad spreadsheet, yeah. So uh, apparently the problem is cheap baby cows. I'm not sure where to go with that, to be honest, TJ. <laughs> Tight calves. <laughs> Boom, boom. <laughs> Apparently that's all it was. That's all it is. Uh, and so I've been given some stretches. I go back tomorrow actually for the, the session on my, my knees. But yeah, I, I, there's all sorts of pronation, over pronation, mm-hmm. rolling, twisting. Basically everything from the knees down is a bit of a, a nightmare at the minute. But everything is, I'm told, remediable, which is great. And I just want to focus. I know that you have a sort of focus on health this year yeah you and justin have this sort of health focus you're talking about so for me this is very much like okay there's a couple of things i want to make sure i'm doing the best i can here about i I don't want to leave them and certainly i got a nice pair of new shoes and it was like well these are going to be dead in three months better try and fix my legs so they don't do that so it's very useful to, to kind of have someone look at it and go okay yeah there's a reason that that's sore there's a reason that's doing that so for me, it's it's trying to balance out the calves so that they don't twist when I move, which is apparently causing the problem. I'm basically sanding the bottom of my shoes by twisting the, my, the ball of my foot every time. Uh, so 
doing that kind of thing. Physiotherapy is never terribly fun because it's expensive and I'm, I'm lucky enough that I can I can afford to do it. But I hope that it's a let's fix this and then it's no longer a problem. I no longer need to think about this and I no longer need to buy four to five pairs of shoes a, a year. Mm, well, I've, sounds, sounds like a good solution. Money well spent in the long term. Mm. Get that into your spreadsheet. The return on investment on your <laughs> physio could be excellent. <laughs> what about you? What are you buying? Uh, what am I buying? Not much, really. Um, I Oh, I, I'll tell you what I did buy and I didn't write down. Um, you remember the, the Remarkable? The little yeah. uh, the tablet? Um, it's now got a keyboard as well. Oh, yeah. I have the keyboard for my iPad. Is it much the same? It's, well, it's very, very simple. Obviously, the Remarkable is is basically is a, is an e-screen. Um, so you're not going to be sort of putting together graphs or anything. Uh, but as a, as a way of taking notes, I find that um, I quite like the whole mixed media thing where I might be mm. typing away when I'm watching one of these marketing gurus talking nonsense. Um, and then I might sketch something on it as well you know do it as sort of impromptu flow chart yeah and, yeah um, it's quite a good device for that um but it's yeah it's quite a limited sort of use and you know i'm still in the position where i think okay well i'm going away okay well i'll take the laptop i'll take the ipad i'll take that mm-hmm. mm-hmm. how many things do i need <laughs> um, but yeah you got a four screen minimum to leave the house too. Do you not hear that? Four screens or else stay in the house. Well, appa- apparently um, this is all going to become completely irrelevant in about a fortnight when Apple <gasps> turn around and say, I know. screens, thing of the past. Don't need them. Augmented, Rhea. I cannot wait. I'm very excited. This is this is kind of my wheelhouse a little bit. Sure. It's something I'm very interested in. Uh, so I'm very jazzed to hear. I'm not jazzed to buy one because no. it sounds expensive by the, the, the sort of reports I've read. But... Yeah, anyone that can bring Apple levels of polish to it after maybe a couple of updates will be very interesting because I, I, I do an awful lot of VR stuff and I, I have used an awful lot of VR applications and there's less in the AR sphere and I'm very interested to see what Apple's going to bring to the table. Yeah, no, I'm going to think, you know, uh, you and I have discussed it before. It's, it is the future, how quickly it's coming. Well, doubtless comes mm-hmm. a huge mm-hmm. shock to me because I'm, now over 50 and everything comes as a huge shock to me now. Um, Where's the screen? What do you mean it's in my eyes? Yeah, exactly. Just, <laughs> just, oh, let me get my head around this. What do you mean there's no screen? Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, I am quite looking forward to the idea. Still, I have this, uh, this huge conflict in my life that I want simplicity, uh, but I also want all of the, the, the new shiny things. Um, yeah yeah simply that's it's very simple you want everything yeah yeah exactly you know you look at your your rotring 600 that why on earth would i want a three in one well i want a three in one because it's amazing it's cool i can do everything with it but it means that i'd have to have two less things no i can't do that this, this is the sort of <laughs> i'll have three three in ones that's nine and <laughs> in nine and three yeah, it's the sort of spiral that my <laughs> mind goes down um but um books i've been buying a lot of uh, recently i mean a the aforementioned marketing nonsense and ac- academic <laughs> books i mean what a ripoff that is honestly yeah it's the only time you ever go to amazon and you're, you're saying oh okay here's the kindle edition 78 pounds <clears throat> it's oh stop it uh, oh i'm sorry you seem to have missed a decimal let me just yeah. that, that must be something stuck to the sky oh no that's an actual price uh, it's just like oh come on 
Um, and then they go, well, you know, all these people pirating books. If you weren't charging £78 for them, then we wouldn't go looking, would we? <laughs> Nonsense. Um, uh, that lots of, because um, I listen to a few podcasts that sort of <laughs> rotate around books. So, oh, yeah, better note that down. And, and as I get better with GCD, I'm, I'm capturing all this stuff. Before, I could rely yeah. upon myself to forget it all. But um, <laughs> Much cheaper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now it all goes into a list. I think, oh, I better buy it now. Um, so, yeah. I've got, <laughs> Darn my organization. Exactly. I've got this big list of books <laughs> that I need to, to read through. Um, and that, I think, is kind of it. Um, I'm having fights mm. with insurance companies and... Um, I had I had a wonderful experience today with Cypriot bureaucracy. The um, I may have mentioned it to you. I've got to get the title deed for this property updated. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of of hoops that I have to jump through. Um, but the the architect himself threw me threw me a loop this week, and he well last week he sent me a mail saying, uh, "Yeah, we need um, the title deed, but we need a more recent issued one, just because those are the rules." But just go to the land registry. You can get one. And I, I thought, what do you mean? Just go to the land registry. It's like it's like entering Mordor. Um, <laughs> the, uh, because of the European Union, allegedly, um, up until 1995, laws in Cyprus were passed in English. The courts worked in English, and English was sort of. Uh, there were sort of three official languages here. There was there was Greek, there was Turkish, and there was English. And Turkish wasn't used because of the partition in seventy four. So basically, English and Greek. But um, it's changed. And so uh, when I used to do forms, when I first applied for a residence permit in Cyprus in the late nineties, all the forms were in English. Now no forms are in English, and in public buildings, no signage is in English. Um, now, even if you speak a bit of Greek, trust me, you look, you look at a sort of elevator plan of a large building. <laughs> the, the, them letters ain't the same. Do you know what I'm saying? So I was like, yeah. oh, right. Okay. So I, I went into this building, uh, the, the land registry, and there's nothing on the ground floor. Uh, there's a big plan of what's on all the other floors. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll just take the stairs to the first floor, find an office that looks like somebody in there who's not going to kill me. Just gently tapped on the door and said, hi, um, could you help me please? And she was just being so obstructive. She was just looking at me as if I was, well, pardon the pun, speaking Greek. And then she, she, she turned to me and she went, terribly sorry but this is the social security office i think you might need to be in the land registry next door this this clipped english accent i'm like hmm, right okay good all right tally ho so went off went through the whole process again into the ground floor no there's no map okay we'll go to the first floor we'll tap on a door and I, I got sent from place to place to place to place and eventually i said okay i need to get this copy of of the deeds and this one went, okay it's fine you just fill in this form okay great she gave me this form all in Greek. So I said, okay, I, I guess I could run that through Google Translate. And she went, yep, yep, good idea. Okay, cool. Um, and then she said, you email it to this address. I said, you do what? <laughs> oh dear. You email it to this address. I said, do you not think it would have been an idea to put that on the website? What do you mean? Well, on the website, I could perhaps download the form 
in any language, complete it, and send it. <laughs> How about that for a plan? No, it doesn't work like that. Oh. <laughs> so I came home, translated the form, filled it in, sent it off. They sent me an acknowledgement. Now in a couple of days, they'll, they'll send me a form, hopefully, saying, yes, we accept your request. Now go to this link to pay us. Because you can't pay there. You've got to pay at home. So you've got to go to them and get the form, go home, pay them from home. And then how do I get the form? How do I get the actual deed? I go back and collect it. Of course I do. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Par for the this, course, I think. This is, yeah, this is what the British left Cyprus. An impenetrable bureaucracy, which they've just made. Is it, that, is it a Terry Gilliam film, Brazil? Have you ever seen yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that kind of just painful, painful paperwork. <laughs> well, I mean, I just love the way they've just added this layer of complexity because I know Cypriots that don't read Greek. And, and so they walk into these places and they're as clueless as I am. And they're trying to put together, some, that's definitely a delta. That delta, that pretty... Stavros, yeah. is that an epsilon? An epsilon, yeah, right. So, so... Uh, hang on, that says Exodus. That's the exit, isn't it? Oh, that's no good. It's just honestly nonsense. <laughs> um, oh dear, dear, dear. Parish notices. What is well? What's been going? Tell us something exciting. Well, we've actually booked a little bit of a trip. We booked a holiday. The Hollybubs. And, uh, the Hollybubs. Las Vegas. Here um, you we- come. <laughs> if las vegas is off the coast of africa spain it's south of here okay um tenerife oh as we'd say over here oh well yeah yeah, yeah. i think you're off the coast of africa there mate yeah yeah that's warmsville that is Mm, yeah although from the the quick google i had no time zone difference because it's basically just down Mm -hmm. but um yeah I've, i've never been i've been to Mallorca, okay. the one with two L's, not the one with the J. Okay. Um, I think, but I don't think I've ever been to Tenerife. And uh, we just, you know what? It was one of those ones we thought a lovely, nice, all-inclusive, easy flight from Belfast because mm. we have a little one now. We don't. She's never flown. Sure. This is very much an experiment. Uh, the flight time is, I think, four hours. Say, it's quite change. a long the way. It's a lot time. further than Mallorca. Yeah. It's about four hours, four and change, which is okay. I mean, she's she is very good. She's she's fine in the car. She's very good out and about. Uh, so we're we're trying our luck a little bit. Sure. We're just kind of seeing how far we can push it. But um, volcanic sand. We just wanted somewhere all that sort of jazz. Yeah, yeah, black sand beaches. Yeah. So just somewhere a little bit different. And the reviews for the hotel are lovely. And it's just it's one of those ones where there's lots to do. I think there's there's Mount TD we could go and climb if we are that way inclined. Mm-hmm. But um, if we want to sit on the beach and drink cocktails and eat. That is the default. That's a, yeah, that so sounds a better that plan, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> we shall see. But uh, we normally do lots of walking on holiday. It sounds like there will be a lot less walking on this, which is possibly good with the six-month-old. Mm. So I'm very much looking forward to just a week. Calm, lots of reading, lots of eating, lots of drinking, lots of sunshine, hopefully, and a little bit of a reset, a little bit of a rest. It's been a stressful year. Sure. And it would be nice to spend some time with the family, just getting back to whatever equilibrium looks like now. Oh, splendid. I'm sure that would be very, very nice. 
And what about your delightful sunshine oh, and beautiful island weather? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a funny old year. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm, I'm told it's El Nino is behind it all, um, but he tends to get blamed for everything weather-wise. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I was reading today the air pollution in Limassol and Larnaca, which are sort of two major coastal districts here, um, currently 12 times the limit. I don't know what the limit means, but um, the air is literally chewy. So... Um, Oh, yeah. Lots of dust uh, from pretty much everywhere, I think. Um, Mrs. Lennon is claiming it's all come from Sicily, from Etna, so that'll make it volcanic dust. Um, yeah. It tastes a bit Syrian to me. There's a definite sort of deserty feel to it. <laughs> Are you doing that? Yep. Mm, um, oh. It's it's the strangest thing to do because when, when it starts raining, the raindrops are, they're almost like a bucket full each. And... They land on your car, they make a thud, and it's just like a big lump of mud <laughs> has landed on your car. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's horrible. <laughs> um, and we've we've had dust now for, I'd say, a month. Um, mm. And it's it's we've had a little bit of rain, but not a lot. It's just not going away. It's very, very dull. Um, and it, uh, it looks apocalyptic at times. So... Um, I, yeah. I went down to the to the paper shop on Sunday morning at sort of eight o'clock where normally it is, you know, shades and a hat and put your little visor down on the car because the sun is burning through the window. Uh, I had my headlights on because oh, wow. of the dust. It was just horrible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that will pass soon. Um, yeah. Hmm. Uh, obviously, first world problem. Fully, fully, fully understand. Um <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is my mum's not very well. Um, she had oh, she had a, a sort of cancer going on um, at the end of last year, yeah. which the NHS dealt with. Um, and everything seemed to be okay. And now we're a little bit concerned it might not be. Um, there's, there's scans and things ongoing. And I'm hoping, well, as we record in, oh, in a day or two, yeah. I might hear a little bit more about that. But um, so that's always, you know, a bit, bit troublesome. But... Yeah, what can you do? Um, what else is going on? That's kind of it for me, really. Which is handy, because we have yeah. been going on for over an hour now. Um, <laughs> do we have a topic to discuss? We do, and I'm not sure there's loads and loads and loads in it, but it is something that, that came up today for me, and I thought, hmm, I bet Stu does this. So I've tentatively called this one bespoking, which isn't a word, but is now. The art of making things yours which is something that I've been doing for a long time. But uh, having uh, being an adult with actual disposable income has significantly accelerated the skill and level to which I take this, where I like making things mine. I don't like just off the shelf. I want, I want something. It's not that it needs to be expensive. It's more that it needs to be personalized or made mine or kind of in some way TJ'd. And I, I really enjoy that process. There's a certain satisfaction I get from, from having a one of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to know about how you do it. And I've, I've put some photos in the, in the R show note to sort of prompt you. And I'll maybe stick these on Slack as well. Um, this is the kind of thing I do. And I'll let you paint a word picture for the audience. And then we can discuss. Okay, so let me have a look. Hmm. I am not sure you're being 
completely truthful there. Hmm. Okay, so this is a uh, hard case, the sort of thing that you might carry, you know, camera equipment in or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's in a very dashing mustard yellow, which, as I'm sure those who uh, remember TJ's wedding will remember that he has a weakness <laughs> for mustard yellow. Um, yeah. Yep. And it contains, uh, well, it doesn't contain, it's marked with a sort of black nameplate. Looks very, very formal and official, sort of almost military, uh, which says uh, in white text on the black background, photon capture and containment unit, serial 5D slash 4, no, slash 746A. Which, well, that sounds quite scary, TJ. <laughs> it does. And, and it, this is the, the, the dramatic sense of, I have the ability to design stuff and should not be left alone with a credit card. Um, and this is kind of me having fun. So th this case is from my Canon 5D camera, hence Serial 5D. And uh, I had this case for a while and I really like putting like engraved nameplates on hard cases for things. And I have a weakness for hard cases anyway, because I mean, it's art. I don't know. There's something about, I think Jurassic Park 2 left an indelible mark on on my psyche with that idea of like a, an rv full of equipment and technological stuff and cases and tech and things so i've always been drawn to this kind of thing so i, I buy hard cases for my electrical gear because it makes it last longer and it keeps it protected uh, and this isn't expensive this little hard case i think was 30 or 40 quid and it's storing a camera that's worth significantly more than that so i'm happy to pay the premium but um that little name badge is actually from amazon and I got it just the other day. And uh, it's a name badge. Uh, I think it was £3.79. And it's basically two layers of plastic. And they uh, engrave the top layer. So it's black on top of white. And they engrave the black to leave the, the white to shine through. So it doesn't rub off. It can't smudge. It's, it's physical. It, you can't really smudge it without taking it off. And all I've done is take the little pin badge off the back, which is just put on with a bit of foam. I scuffed up the case. I scuffed up the badge. And I just super glued it on. Not that's it. It's not complicated, but it looks it looks really cool. It looks ex-military. It looks ex-industrial supply store, which is kind of the vibe I like. And and the name is a little bit sort of uh, hmm, cinematic, hmm. enthusiastic. Exactly, cinematic. That's a good good choice. <laughs> so I don't know. This this is what appeals to me when I have time to do this kind of thing. Um, so I like the idea of carrying around this sort of mysterious mystique case. People are like, what, what is a photon capture and containment? Yeah. It's a camera. <laughs> it's a camera. It, it captures photons and puts them into digital files, which is just a different kind of electron. Um, but I don't know. It, this is the, this is the th sort of weird and wonderful ways I enjoy bespoking things. And, um, this is the latest one. I just happened to, I literally glued this on this afternoon. But um, I've done it with a lot of other things. So like the dog's harness, I got custom name badges made up for him. They were just embroidered. And I had to put those on the Velcro straps of the dog's harness. Um, there's a, a lot of these are really cheap and really affordable. There's one you can get from Amazon where they do like vinyl cutout lettering. And I think it's meant for cars and, and things like that. Where you maybe get like someone's name or a brand or something like that sort of cut out in vinyl. Uh, whereas I just get, the you know serial numbers and, and numbers and branding things i like 
put on them and then I'm able to just slap it on everything I own. So my AirPods Pro that I'm wearing right now, they got the serial number on the side. Uh, my um, iPad and MacBook both have this, you know, vinyl lettering on the on the side and really subtle, black on black, nice and sort of like a gloss vinyl on a matte laptop. So it's quite subtle. You can just sort of see it, but it's not flashy. It's not a whole thing. And I just like that. I like that that continuous theme running through everything I have of just this is mine and I've made it look like mine and yours doesn't look like mine because mine is mine. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say that I've recently started doing it with with IT. So um, I've put a picture of my laptop in, in, the, mm. in the note as well. Um, That's stunning. My, my, my laptop is known as Woody um, because it's got a, a wooden skin on it which I bought from, I can't remember who, um, it's a Lithuanian or a Latvian company um, who do sort of wood skins. Um, and it's relatively easy to affix. You sort of just stick it on and stick to the bottom. And it offers a, some protection, I think, to the laptop. Mm. Um, that, it's a veneer, isn't it? It's, it's actual wood, but it's very, very thin. And then there's just adhesive on the back. Exactly that, yeah. Um, and it's quite clever the way that they've scored the edges so that you can get it to sort of um, adhere to the the shape. Because my mm. my air is the old style air, which got that oh so rounded yeah, and it's got the little slopey front, and um, you know the the back is thicker than the front and all that jazz. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's lovely. So that's Woody. Um, I haven't really customized the desktop. I've I've just changed its name. So that's the beast, the desktop, the the studio. <laughs> um, then my uh, iPad Mini, that's Iris, um, because it's got an Iris cover. Didn't really put a lot of thought into that, okay. to be honest. Um, <laughs> and then my iPhone is a Project Red. Um, so that's Ruby. Ah, very good, very good. Um, which just, honestly, if you ever go to an airport and, and you know, you're trying to connect something to Bluetooth, you'll realise how important it has to, to have a distinctive name. <laughs> yeah. 17,000 <laughs> devices come up and they all start with iPhone. Um, uh, and before that, the big one for me, um, well, when I worked in Prague, so this would have been 94. Um, we had a little office in a back street. Um, so my my business was Bureau de Change. I was running some Bureau de Change. But we had a little office, sort of off-site that was administrative. And a um, little knock on the door. And in came a beautifully dressed uh, Indian fellow. And he had a proper old school traveling salesman set up. So he had one of those sort of briefcases that opens up into well, a three-bedroom flat, effectively. <laughs> um and and within it he had i don't know 400 uh samples of material for suits and his gig was made to measure suits and um also made to measure shirts and they were all made in hong kong uh he would measure you up you'd pick your material agree the price and 10 days later your suits wow. would arrive from Hong Kong in Prague. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it was at a price, let's say, um, try and make it comparative. It was cheaper than buying a suit in Marks and Spencers. Jeez. So I was like, okay, well, we'll give it a go. I mean, it's not a huge investment. We'll try. Um, and th- 
you you would have been lost, I think, because of the amount of customization that you could do. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, okay, all right, I'll get a suit. Yeah, yeah, that pinstripe looks cool. I mean, I think he did tweet as well, but that pinstripe looks cool. And then it's like, what? Well, how many buttons do you want on the sleeve? Um, I didn't have a firm opinion about yeah, buttons until now. Like I said, <laughs> I'd never really given it any thought. And and how about pockets? Yes, I'd like pockets. How many? Uh, right, uh, and, Sixty-four. Uh, and, and inside, do you, do you need a do you need a pen pocket? Do you need a, oh, oh, a lining? What do you mean lining? You can have different lining. Oh, show me the linings. So I ended up getting a obviously a scarlet red one. Uh, I also got a lime <laughs> green one. Um, fan, fantastic. Just, I mean, uh, you want turnips? Oh, I don't know. Do I want turnips? Well, with this sort of suit, I, I wouldn't recommend them. No, 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 no. And buttons, do you want two? Do you want three? Do you, oh, my. Oh, heavens. Oh, we could do double rested. <laughs> <gasps> so uh, eventually you'd realize that this was quite a long process, actually sorting out what it was you wanted. Uh, but then it arrived. And you could have your initials embroidered on it. You could have your name embroidered on it. I mean, presumably, you could have had, you know, Armani embroidered upon it, although you know, that might have been copyright issue. <laughs> um, and it was just absolutely fabulous. That was that was great. The problem I had is that I have never, ever been the, the same weight for two days in a row. So my, yeah, same. my weight is either going up <laughs> or it's going down. It is never stable. Um, it's in transit always <laughs> yeah and within a certain sort of limit that i think that's fine um however i probably need to have you know three versions of each suit there's the oh weight's going down there's the weight's not quite sure and there's the weight's going up um with just a little more give in it perhaps <laughs> um so I, I actually got bored of getting made to measure suits and then so the three months later going yeah it's the wrong size now mm. Um, this doesn't measure right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this is this is shrunken. The, oh, I haven't washed it. Um, and the other one was... Have I shrunk in the yeah, wash? <laughs> unlikely in my case. Um, the other one was... Um, Cyprus was famous for its cobblers. So they used to make really, mm -hmm. really cool shoes. Um, and so I would come out here to see my mum and dad um, and go and see my cobbler. And he would whip me up a pair of brogues or a pair of city shoes, um, Oxfords, obviously, um, for, for me to wear in the shed here with my you know bespoke suits and all that stuff. Um, so I quite enjoyed that for a while, but I did eventually sort of settle into just go to the shop, get me a suit, put it on. Um, yeah. Just because it was, I don't know. I, I, I got frustrated, I think, with the, the ever-changing waistline. That was probably what, what did it. Have you ever had custom custom made clothes? Did you get me measured for the wedding? Know. No, I didn't. I didn't. I actually bought off the rack, and it was lovely. I had, a, I had a green tweed suit. I feel very like the fact that you've called it is not fair because I, I am a bit predictable. But yeah, I did have a green tweed suit for the wedding. Um, the two colors, the two college group colors, are olive green and mustard yellow, and have been for a good while. So my suit was uh, olive green and tweed and it was very nice but i just i just bought that off the rack and it, it fitted grand mm -hmm. um but no i've never been fitted for anything um mostly because i don't really dress fancy enough most of the time uh, they don't really do fittings for hoodies and jeans <laughs> I was but, um, so yeah I mean, the the <laughs> pandemic has a, probably done that business a huge <laughs> amount of damage yeah. excuse me i would like yeah. some jogging pants <clears throat> 
Uh, could you do me a tailored shirt and jacket? But no trousers, thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so no, I've I've never had them done. I would love to do it sometime, but again, I have that same problem where I'm not at the weight or the health uh, situation where I'd like to be. So it feels disingenuous to buy one that's not going to be worn, or to buy one and then have to have it changed. Sure. So I'm kind of waiting for perfection, which is possibly not the best thing to do. But I have had shoes resold once. I've never had a, a shoes made for me, but I have resold a, a really lovely pair of leather boots that I had. And I really like them. And because of my aforementioned destructive feet, I burnt through the soles of this shoe. And I think because this was like three inches of leather, really, really high quality, really lovely leather boots. And I destroyed them and I was like, oh, I really like these. They're re- Apart from the, the hole in the shoe making them no longer watertight, they are otherwise just about broken in. The leather is at a beautiful patina. It looks nice. They wear beautifully. They're very comfortable. They just let make puddles in my shoes now because uh, I've burnt holes in them. And Northern Ireland has many puddles most of the time. <laughs> so I went to get them resold and thought, right, okay, these boots were X. Uh, and the resoling is uh, about you know about a, f- a quarter of that price for as as it would cost to get a new pair. So you know, this maybe is the way to do it. And so I got them resold, and it was very interesting. Uh, went to a proper cobbler, and he took a look at the boots, and yeah, we can do those, and sort of quite viciously ripped the bottoms off them. In that, if you've ever seen them do shoes, mm-hmm. it is just sort of like a big clamp and just rips it off. Um, and then sort of, yeah, dropped back in an hour's time. So it came back and uh, had put beautiful new leather and things sole on it. You know, it wasn't the same as the previous one, but it was of an equal quality. Beautiful. And then I walked through it in three months. I was like, right, if my maths is correct, this is effectively the same as buying a new pair of boots every year instead of every four months. So this is not necessarily fixing the problem so much as getting a discount on paying for it. So uh, I then got rid of the boots. After I burnt through the second uh, pair of soles, I got rid of them because I didn't have the heart to go back and be like, hi, you remember that great work you did? Yeah, I ruined it. Please fix it again. Oh, I dare say. So, uh, I dare say you'd be getting champagne every time you go through the door, CJ. <laughs> well, no, what do you start making them thinner and thinner? It's like, I'm seeing you every week now. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's possible, but unlikely. but uh no it's fascinating again not something i've ever done but this thread of like i like the bespoke not from a i don't want it to be super fancy i just like it to be mine Mm -hmm. i think i would appreciate that but again i don't think now is the right time for me to do it but i mean there's all sorts i've seen companies that do like custom jeans like they'll use a phone app to scan yourself and then they'll make you jeans that fit you perfectly like that's just cool that's just cool that would be really interesting. But again, I don't want a pair of jeans that perfectly fit me now because I, either I do well and they don't fit me or I do poorly and they don't fit me. There's not really a scenario in which I win by paying for fancy jeans. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, another one is is golf. I know you're not a golfer, but um, a, a key part of golf um, is that you get 14 bats with which to try and hit the ball. Um, as, as somebody once said, um, uh, what, what was the correct? Um, oh, it's, it's something along those lines. Perfectly ill-suited for the purpose, um, in that they, you know they're very strange shape. And whilst the fundamentals of most golf bats or clubs, as some purists would have you say, um, are are the same, and there are some some rules, 
So um, a driver can only have a 460 cubic centimetre volume. You can't, you can't have a double, of course. double size one. You know, it's just <laughs> not fair. It's not cricket. Oh, no, hang on. Mixed metaphor. Anyway, um, you can customise the shaft. And essentially what you're looking at is the weight of the shaft and where it kicks or where it bends. So yes. if you imagine a golf swing, um, by the, if you're doing it properly, there should be quite a lot of velocity imparted to the big heavy bit at the bottom with which you hope to strike the ball. And depending on how quickly you move and in what sort of arc you move, there are different uh, shafts that will, will suit. And so you go off and you get you get tested, you hit lots of balls and the fitter will say, okay, let's just try this. I'm just going to tweak that and then put a lower kick point or a higher kick point. Um, and bang, bang, bang. And then he will essentially make you a custom set of golf clubs. So they'll have regulation heads on the bottom, but they'll have shafts specially fitted for you and whatever mm. colour handle you think is great. And, you, you know, you <laughs> come out of there feeling like a million dollars. But uh, as anybody who's played the game will tell you, it takes quite a lot of effort to get good at golf. And it's it's also inexplicable. <laughs> One day you can play like a god and the next day you look as though you have never seen a golf club before. <laughs> no idea. I mean, that even happens at the pro level. Uh, well, yeah, not, not quite as extreme at the pro level. I mean, those guys, are the, you know, they're out on the range for, you know, four, five, six hours just grooving the movement. And um, one thing you, you'll see with really good golfers, they go, oh, yeah, his swing is slightly off. And I'll look at it and go, that was identical to the one he did before. <laughs> Whereas if my swing is slightly off, then there's a chance I might hit your head off if you're not standing in the right place. Stu, we're playing golf. Yeah. Golf today, remember? Yeah. This is not tennis. Well, that's the, that's the thing. And, you know, my my swing on fitting day, that could be any one of a million swings that I possess. <laughs> And you get fitted for that swing. That's great if you can re reproduce the thing when you're actually playing. Um, and so I, I got to the point where I was going, well, actually, I think I should, through trial and error, work out what works best with the standard bat and just keep doing that. Um, <laughs> but by the same token, um, you know, I, I do get the chance to go, oh, I'm just going to change the grips on this. And once again, most people have black or red. I go for neon, yellow, or yeah. orange. or um, And then, oh, how's that going to work with my bag? Okay. So, mm, yeah, mm, <laughs> I think I need a neon bag, everybody. Mm, the only way to get one is to import it from Thailand. No, it's no problem. Carry on. Yeah, yeah. Import fees. <laughs> some I laugh at import Some fees. Yeti cups while you're at it. Um, a couple of Yeti cups just in, in the market. Yeah, and it's so easy for me to do that because I, I, use, um, I use quite a – Ponzi brand of irons. I have forged irons, uh, which cost a lot of money. They're far better at golf than I am, but I really enjoy using them. Um, and so, <laughs> so I'm now, I'm now like, mm, I want to, I want to get the matching bag. And golf bags are one things that people will not deliver to Mediterranean islands. Said, what pay, pay air shipping for that? No, it's huge. No, the, the volumetric, no, we're not going to do it. Oh, please, please. So I will end up going to somewhere like the United Kingdom, buying a golf bag and putting it in my <laughs> luggage, um, probably having to pay for it as one more, um, to, so that it matches. So I can have a Miura bag with my Miura irons. Um, and I get 
really nervous when I'm when I love the irons from a certain manufacturer, but I hate their woods. Oh no, I'm not going to match. <laughs> and it, you know, it takes yeah. it takes a proper sit down to say, okay, it's all right, it's okay, it's okay not to match. It's not not everyone can match, <laughs> but I want to match. I want to match. Um, but I think I'm over that now. I'm lying. And the big one, the big one that I'd have to mention um, for us is pens. Yeah, this is something that obviously a pencil is a pencil. Pencil, you sharpen them. You can there's a bit of variation of point, mm. but largely a pencil sharpened is a pencil sharpened. But pens. There's a whole. Sorry, I walked away from the mic to put something in the bin and realized that you can hear me, but the audience probably can't. <laughs> um, so if I went quiet, it's because I was going to the bin. Um, yeah, pencils are kind of a, not one size fits all, but certainly like two sizes fits most. Whereas pens are like, no, 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 no. I need a, an antique uh, 45 degree raked grind on my medium fine nib or else I couldn't possibly sign my name. Yeah. I mean, it, at so many levels this exists. So, uh, you know, at the most basic level, you're buying, you know, your first fountain pen or your second fountain pen. There is the question of, you know, what sort of nib do you want, sir? Do you want a, a fine, a medium, or a broad? Let's start with that. There's there's more, but we'll start with that. Um, <laughs> and it's so personal. I mean, I think it's very unlikely that a pen exists that Justin would like and I would like, because our <laughs> our tastes are diametrically opposite. So um, I I love a double broad with huge amount of ink on the paper, big flamboyant sort of line. Um, I, I want the ink to flow. Justin, he's an extra fine guy. He's basically got a fork that he, he dips <laughs> into a tiny little bit of ink and scratches something he onto wants, the paper. Yeah. He needs to get an H pencil and then he's, he'd be happy as Larry. That's it. Yeah, he, want, he wants that precision, that neatness. And I'm like, that's horrible. I, I, and <laughs> it exists everywhere. The pen addict is very similar. Brad is, is Mr. Extra Fine. My, my mic is at the medium broad end, likes his ink, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's some variation on the, the guys. You know those guys that talk about pencils a lot? Oh, I can't remember what they're called. Um, <laughs> they're, they're alter egos um, who also do a pen show. Um, similarly, sort of spread across the nibs. And then it gets even more complicated. So you get into sort of stub nibs, which um, are essentially italic. So the... Okay. You know, the vertical line and the horizontal line. One will be very broad and one will be very fine. And that's what, yes. that's what, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. gives you italic writing. Um, and then you can get into architect grinds. You can get into all these different grinds, that <laughs> music nibs, yeah. um, that are you know great fun once you're at a certain level within, within the hobby. I think if you did it on the first day, you'd be like, this is <laughs> to go away. Um, and as, as you were alluding to, you can get custom grinds. So... You can work with with a nib master who will who essentially he'll sit there and just sort of grind away. And you're like, you want a bit smoother there, okay? And he'll watch you write, and um, you know they'll they'll improve the nib to your exact writing style. Um, and it becomes extremely personal then, and then it all changes depending on what ink you're using. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get into the idea of well, mm, I'd like to try all the inks before I decide upon them. Okay, well, we think there are about 160,000, sir. Where would you like to start? 
Um, well, A, of course, <laughs> and we'll move on to B, and then we'll see how we get oh, to sorry, C. 160,000 was the blue blacks. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's endless. And I, as I say, it operates at so many levels. So first of all, you discover a brand that you quite like, and you think, oh, I quite like mm. the way that they work. Um, so for me, because I like things at the thick end, I like European pens, I like um, Pelican, I like Mont Blanc, um, because they are tend to be quite broad. And then you've got Japanese pens, which are much finer nibs. But I love the flexibility within some Japanese nibs. So I'm the I'm the guy that's saying, could you do that at a double broad? Um, why? It's a Japanese pen. So, no, no, really, honestly. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I like that. But always, it's never quite right. I've got probably 20 perfect pens, TJ. Each one was not <laughs> quite as perfect as the one that I really wanted. And it becomes a quest for that. And then me being me, that's where I get into a, this whole dichotomy thing. I say, okay, I found the perfect pen. I need no other pen. Take these pens from me. <laughs> Be gone, pens. Oh, no, my pens. Oh, no, I can't let them go. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Um, so I suppose I do customize that. But part of the fun there is is the whole experimentation thing and just... It's the process. Yeah. And I think that's what appeals to both of us is the the act of trying to find perfection in some ways is better than finding it. So if you actually find the perfect pen, you'd be like, oh, but I wanted to keep looking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bags. You done bags? <laughs> you know, if you buy the, so, the Bosch bags, the Toomey bags and stuff, you get your initials put on them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Corporate Cobra. That's awesome. I'm that guy. <laughs> and then you look at it and you think, oh, no, why have I done that? Honestly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I want to go get some more labels and stitched things and embroidered and custom. And oh, this has not helped with this uh, addiction at all. If anything, it's fueled the fire. Well, I am now, I'm now looking at your pictures again and going, okay. And then you've got that little Dymo tape and put fragile stickers on. Yeah. You went, you went to all the trouble of doing those really posh little super glue ones. Well, I'm, I'm telling a story, Stu. It's not, it's about, it's about a lived in experience rather than a, a hard call. Like, I don't want it to look like it's just ruled off the manufacturer's, uh, you know, factory. Uh -huh. I want it to feel like it's, it's got, a, you know, some city miles on it. Um, you know, a little bit of scuff, a little bit of wear, a little bit of life. You ever seen those guys that do like, um, movie props and things like that where they'll, they'll take, you know, I don't know, a jerry can mm -hmm. and make it look like it's survived the first three years of World oh, War II. So you II. ever go and kick it around a car park for a while, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is an art form and it's fascinating. And I don't I do not do that. Like that is, that is another level beyond where I am. But the idea of like stuff should reflect that people own it. I, I like things that I have, picking up some scuffs and some things. So a perfect example, I bought myself a new toolbox um, for some some nice tools around the house. I bought some really, really lovely uh, Vera screwdrivers, German screwdrivers, really high quality. And I wanted a really nice toolbox. So, of course, I went and found an olive green toolbox made by a Japanese company. And it's it's beautiful. And I immediately went in, put the branding on it, clearly. Got the vinyl sticker on it, that's grand. Uh, you know, laid out everything beautifully inside. I've got some cork to put in the bottom to stop things rattling. It's all, it's getting very bespoke. And then I, I stupidly set it in the cupboard and then dropped a pram on it, as one does. Yeah. 
Yeah. So now my beautiful olive toolbox has a beautiful silver scratch right across the top of it. Perfect. And yeah, the first instinct was, oh, oh no, no, no. And then you're like, I can't return it because I did this. I can't be like, hi, I broke this and want to return it. Because that's not fair. That's not right. So it was the, the immediate reaction was, oh no. And then I was like, well, I mean, this is supposed to be a hard wearing toolbox. I want to have this for many years. And surely these scuffs and scratches and that this is just the patina of, of use. This is, this is life. This is the, the etchings of time on the things that we own. And so I'm learning to love the horrible mistake I did to that toolbox and, uh, get, you know, there's something about those things that I think do tell a story and, and the scuffs on it and the dents on it. And, you know, if you find something that was your grandparents or your father's, your parents, your mom's or whatever, you think that's cool. There's a, there's a story in that. There's, there's heritage, there's history, there's time. It's not just a thing that sat unloved. It was possibly in someone's pocket or sat on or dropped or pram fell on it or something like that (laughs) somebody dropped a pram on it (laughs) somebody dropped a pram on it um that that speaks to me that maybe that's the cinematic part of it for me maybe that's the like i can see the story in it and that appeals so i'm learning to love the what is the japanese team is it kintsugi or something like the the perfection the of broken patina. but repaired so all yeah that yeah i can't remember the let me try and find it i am not connected to the internet on this device um yeah that that kind of patina that wear that life i think is really appealing and so i want that on my stuff um yeah kintsugi is the general concept of highlighting or emphasizing imperfections visualizing men's and seams as an additive or area to celebrate or focus upon Oh, very good. I've just put another picture in our show note. Um, my wallet just occurred to me that um, this no, is yeah, made, Memento Mori. Yeah, it's made by um, an outfit called Wingback. Um, mm-hmm. And so on the front, uh, on the bit that sort of goes over that Memento Mori, the flap, it just says SL. And yeah. And underneath you've got Memento Mori, and you can see the sort of the different wear on the leather. It's, you know, it Wabby is. Wabby Sabby. Yeah, That's the other term I was trying to think of. I thought you had that with sushi. Um, <laughs> it's developing its its own little patina and becoming mine, as you say. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's part of it. That's part of the appeal. Like in a world where we're fortunate enough to live in a society where we can have many, many things relatively easily and they can be delivered to our house, maybe not golf bags, but they can be delivered to our house with relative ease and low cost and it's easy for things to feel transient and meaningless and just stuff that you know comes into your life and leaves again the idea of having things that you care for and look after and maintain and that become more yours the longer you have them not less yours not used up but fuller i think there's something very appealing in that yeah, I think once again you're right. You've sort of stum- you surprised me again, TJ. Stumbled onto something. Of- but no, I'm not, I'm not into this at all. And yet, only today I was looking at skins for the laptop again. There's a vintage typewriter See? one, for example. Oh, very nice. Uh, make your make your laptop look like a vintage typewriter. I I literally sat here and said out loud, "What are you doing? Do some work." <laughs> Astonishing. Anyway, I've been Stu Lennon. 
and I've been TJ Cosgrove. Remember to make the past, the present, in the future. This was an imperfectly perfect episode of 1857. And given that the summer has arrived, we'll take a break and we'll see you when the summer goes away. Yeah. Take it easy. Chill.